Amen. And I agree with Pastor Steve there. You guys did a great, great job of singing. It was great to worship with you this morning. As was mentioned, we're going to be at 1 Timothy chapter 3, so if you're, you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn there. Today marks the last Sunday in which we are working through our series this fall on Be the Church. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. As we've studied this fall, what are the various components and aspects that make up the church from God's Word? We've looked, out, we've looked at things such as a people who have been called out, literally the meaning of ecclesia, the church, or people that have been sent, a people called to worship what we just did, a people who are needy and to be clinging to their God, a people called to holiness, a body that is called to be diverse in its gifts and abilities. A group of people who are showing powerful love. A group of people who are stewards, who are committed to one another. And as last week we saw, a people who are thankful for all that the Lord has entrusted to them. As we've studied this, I hope that you've been blessed and encouraged. But but as we wrap up this series, I would just say we have by no means mined the depths of what God's Word has to say for our church on, on what is the church. As we conclude our time this morning, or this series this morning, we're going to be examining what it means to be a proponent of absolute truth. But before we get there, two quick words of introduction before we look at our text here this morning. First, I think we just have to establish what do we mean by the word truth. We live, as some have described it, in a post-truth world. So we have to understand, well, what are we talking about then if the, if the church is called to be a proponent of truth? Looking to the theological word book of the Old Testament, we can see that the the concept of truth that begins in the Old Testament and and moves through the New Testament, the idea had the, the concept of firmness or certainty. Now, I know you guys all woke up this morning and came to the church house thinking, let's study epistemology, the study of truth. That's what you guys thought this morning on this post Thanksgiving food coma. But let's make sure we know what we're talking about. Truth has the idea of firmness or certainty. In fact, that's what's happening when we say at the end of our prayer, Amen. That is the Hebrew word for this is true. This is firm. See if you can spot, I've actually underlined it in this verse here, how this idea of firmness wasn't just located in the word for amen at the end of a prayer, but it had this idea of firmness. We see this in 2 Kings 18, for example. At the time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the the firmness from the, the doorposts. It had this idea of something that was certain, You've probably even used that word elsewhere as you describe something being true, something being certain, something being firm. 
Lastly, I would just say by way of us thinking through a definition of what is true, what is firm, is that we can think truth ultimately then at the end of the day is what is God's view and his declaration of what is. Uh, Meaning when, when God calls something good, then that thing is good. He is speaking and that for it is true. Or when he says something is bad, what that means is that thing is bad. And so as we study this morning from God's Word that the church is this pillar and this buttress of truth, let's remind ourselves that there might be things that we look at and examine this morning and in future Lord's Day that that we struggle because of our modern ears But we're trying to understand what is true. We're trying to understand what is God's view. What is his declaration of the situation. So this morning we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we do that, what we will see, Lord willing, are three things that God's word reveals to us about the church's relationship to the truth. Follow along with me as I read in verse, beginning in verse 14 all the way to chapter 4, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes to young Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God has created to be received by thanksgiving, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God. And prayer. So we're talking about the church being a proponent of absolute truth. And the first thing that we see from our text is that there is a way in which the church ought to act. The context of our epistle that we're studying this morning, as I mentioned, is Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy. If you remember the context of 1 Timothy, Paul says to him, Remain on at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy was left by the Apostle Paul, and he was left there to spend his time teaching because there was significant errors that were popping up in the church shortly after its birth. 
Now, I think, honestly, in one way, that can be a bit comforting to us here this morning. As we look at the theological landscape of the world around us, we see churches all over the United States, all over the world, that are turning away from God's truth, from His Word. And the comfort there is this has been happening since the beginning of the birth of the church. As long as the church has existed, churches have struggled with adherence and devotion to the truth. So Paul is writing to Timothy so that in the event in which he is delayed, that the church would know how it is to act. We don't have time to examine all of the problems that were happening in that church, but suffice it to say, Timothy had his work cut out for him at the church of Ephesus. What Paul is saying is there is a right way and there is a wrong way that you are to order and act in the church. Now, I can tell what some of you are thinking. We're paying this guy that much money for those kinds of observations? Well, duh, the Bible tells us how to act how we should function. But just give me a moment to unpack why Paul is saying it that way and and why I think it's important for us this morning. I think it's very easy for churches like ours and others for the thing that does the talking, the thing that does the driving in the church, it's not the Bible. Look at, for example, institutions like the Roman Catholic Church and others in our town and around the world where so much of their practice, so much of what they do has nothing to do with what you would find in the Scriptures. But lest we think that we are immune to such proclivities, let's remind ourselves that we're not. I happened to have an opportunity this week to talk with one of our church's deacons, and we were just kind of sharing some stories, not about Berean, but about some other churches that we had been involved in and and conversations that we had had. So again, not about Berean. And we were talking about a particular dynamic, and, and he was telling the story of how a person said to him, well, it may not be biblical what we do, but it's certainly baptistic. Just pause and consider that for a moment. It isn't biblical what we do, but it's certainly certainly the way Baptists do it. That was said out of someone's heart. That truth was deeply embedded there. They knew the way that they had structured and organized their church was more about tradition and less about what they found in the actual pages of Scripture I hope that you would agree with me this morning that it's God's Word that should formulate how our churches run. We're not not looking at other churches in our town and around the world, right? We're going to practice Matthew 7. We're going to get the log out of our own eye and not worry about the speck that is in others. But we need to be making sure as a church family that we organize, that we adhere to the truth. Now, there will be, by way of balance, 
There will be ways in which churches throughout human history and in different places organize underneath the umbrella and the authority that God had given to those churches. For example, you heard us for the announcements for the last few weeks talk about the Discover Berean class. It's a a step that we have placed here at Berean that persons who aren't members can take this class before joining the church to make sure that we hear, heard their testimonies, to make sure they understood what we believed. If you could go back in time and talk to young Timothy at the church at Ephesus, they would not have a Discover Berean class. You can search through your Bible. You can use the concordance. You won't find Discover Berean in here. So there is a level which I'm saying here, that the church has authority to organize and do things in a particular way underneath the umbrella that God has given to them. But there is a right and a wrong way, brothers and sisters, to organize and to act in the local church. And that's what Paul is writing to young Timothy in chapter in 1 Timothy For example, some of the ways that the church isn't to act that are going to be some of the most controversial things that we will face in this society and moving forward is the appointment of elders, the appointment of the pastors. Paul would tell Timothy in chapter 2, verse 12, I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Meaning she, she cannot, there cannot be a woman occupying the office of pastor. Only qualified, spirit-filled men can take that role. Or later, when talking about how to organize the church and describing pastors, he must not be a recent convert. Again, what is Paul doing? He's saying there is a right way and a wrong way to act and to organize the church. We find that truth in God's Word. And he's writing to young Timothy on how to lead the church that way. So I hope that we all would agree here this morning that that if Jesus died for the church, that that if he purchased the church with his blood, then he gets to call the shots when it comes to how we organize the church and how we function. We dare not allow modern concepts of leadership and organization to influence and derail how we, the people of God, are to function. We dare not allow tradition or anything else to dictate how we operate. So how do we do this? How is the church called to act? The text tells us first by dwelling under the truth the conclusion of that verse, if I delay, you may know how one ought to act and behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now, the church is likened here to a building, a building with strong walls, pillars, and supports. We know from our study and elsewhere that the church is not a building. Rather, a metaphor is is being put forward for us to examine, and and it's that of a home. And that home, as you know from your home, it needs walls, something to support the structure, and the thing that supports the structure is the truth. 
If you don't have walls in your home, you don't have much of a home at all. Well, we could probably spend the entire morning thinking through, teasing out that metaphor of, of the church being the household of God and those walls need be th- needing to be thick. But when you think about the metaphor of a home, what does it provide for us? I think it provides three things. It provides us with a level of comfort. It provides us with a level of safety. It provides us with a level of rest. To illustrate that here for a moment, back in our home in Indiana, many of you know that we lived in rural Indiana. And part of living in the rural part of Indiana is you end up getting a bunch of animals. So we had dogs and we had cats, and one of the groups of animals that we had were bunnies. We were not going to keep the bunnies in the house. So I built a beautiful, in my opinion, palatial palace for these bunnies outside. And they they even had their own little yard that was fenced in. Our dogs and our cats were very obedient. They, They left those bunnies alone. But those bunnies did not like the house that the good Lord had given to them. They kept burrowing under the fence, and we would find it, and we would try to repair it. We'd, we'd put rocks inside and outside of the fence, and eventually, one day, each one of those bunnies got out, and each day, those dogs got those bunnies. God had provided them, we had provided those bunnies, something to dwell under, and they had left it. Church family, we have been described as the pillar and the buttress of truth. We've been entrusted with the Word of God. If we want to live in a strong house, then we need to have a really big understanding of our Bibles. If you want a big structure, you need big pillars. If you build with sticks and twigs, Your structure will be small, it will be unstable, and the first storm, it will be blown away. And the way that we build primarily in this structure, in this church, is through the proclamation of the gospel. Paul says it this way, great indeed, we confess. Confess meaning we say the same thing. This mystery of godliness, which is another way to describe the gospel. Whenever you see the word mystery in the New Testament, he's talking about the gospel because it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, the person and work of Christ fully, but now has been revealed. And what is this mystery that has been revealed? He, that is Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Christianity is not primarily a message of morality, although it does call each one of us how to live in a certain way. Christianity is not primarily a community, although we do find great fellowship with one another. Christianity is not primarily a service agency, although we are called to love one another. Christianity is not primarily a support group, although we are called to bear one another's burdens. Christianity is primarily the message of Jesus Christ. 
who died, who was crucified, who rose from the dead so that our salvation could be secured. Christianity is about proclaiming the gospel to a dying world, a message of the cross, which is foolishness. Christianity is about leading persons out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So church family, let us make sure that we function as the pillar and the support of truth by always keeping the gospel clear in our minds and clear in the mission of this church. And so it might be a good time for you to ask yourself, when was the last time that you shared this very gospel with someone? I don't mean that you told them that you go to church or that you invited them to this particular church. I mean, when is the last time that you shared the good news of Jesus with someone else? And if the answer to that is it's been a long time, then perhaps one of the things that you could take away from today's message and pray about is that God would put someone clearly in your life who is ready to hear the gospel message. Lock onto this church. Let us not confuse attending an evangelical church with doing personal evangelism. Can you agree with me that just because you attend a church that calls person to repentance, that cannot be conflated with personal evangelism? Berean has a rich history and heritage of allowing the Bible to call the shots and to proclaiming the gospel clearly in this community. But we are one generation from Judges 2.10. That a generation arose who were gathered to their fathers who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I hope and pray that we'd be a people who take serious the truth of God's word. And that we would not be a people who want to see the book of Judges lived out here but we would be a people who are passionate about proclaiming the gospel. Paul then warns in this relationship to the truth that some, some will turn to deceptive teachings. Now the Spirit expressly says, he's communicated this clearly to us, that in the latter times, some will depart. It's literally the word for apostatize. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Notice how the ESV puts it so accurately, that that it is a willful departing. Uh, Meaning, this isn't something that is going to accidentally happen to you or me. You have to depart from the truth of God's Word. Pastor John MacArthur puts it this way, that when we're giving attention to lies, when we're giving attention to the lies of the world, it's not someone who's struggling to believe but one who willfully abandons biblical faith that they once possessed. 
An apostate is not someone who struggles to believe. So if that's you today, that's not who we're talking about. It's someone who gives attention to the lies of the world and who willfully abandons faith in God. Now, one quick word on eternal security, even though that's not the purpose of our study this morning. I do believe that the Bible teaches that those who are in Christ will be kept to the very end. There there will be no falling truly away for those who are in Jesus. But rather, those who we do see falling away, even persons who've joined our church, persons who will join our church, those persons are not truly saved. They may have made a good profession. They may have made and had all of the markings and trappings of a Christian. But one day they will depart from the faith because they were never truly among us. Uh, The Bible gives many reasons for why people will ultimately abandon the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. One reason is their own selfish desires. That is, they they have counted the cost of following Christ. They see the call to pick up the cross and follow him. They, They see that it is too much. And so they turn to their own selfish ambitions and desires. Or another reason is persecution. It was true in the Apostle Paul's day. It's true today that that people will find it's too costly to follow Christ. Now, there are many, the senior saints will remember this for sure, when the U.S. and the world was made up primarily of cultural Christians. Everybody went to church. Everybody belonged. Today, however, that's not the case at all. In fact, almost the opposite is true. That being a fully devoted follower of Christ, being a part of a church like this, it could end up costing you your job, it could end up costing you your family, or one day even more. So people abandon the faith because of persecution. But the reason that's mentioned here today is that they have devoted themselves to lies. This is perhaps the greatest danger in the church that has always existed. Persons are not devoting themselves to God's word, but they're devoting themselves to something else. Now, you might have thought, man, the Apostle Paul put that a bit strong. To demons? There's none of that happening here at Berean for sure. But we need to remember that lies and Satan walk hand in hand. Christ, when describing Satan when he's in his sharp rebuke of the Pharisees in John 8, says this of Satan. He was a, a murderer from the beginning, and he, he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar, the father of lies. And as much as we don't want to admit it, we are all easily deceived. When our hearts wander from the Lord, Satan is right there ready to pick up the pieces. Dear brothers and sisters, Satan is very much alive and active. He is working. We don't need to fear him for we have the the word of God, which is truth. 
But he is always trying to lure men and women away from careful devotion to God's word and being devoted to something else. And this luring of people away, I'm not talking about like Harry Potter somehow infiltrating the church library. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something far more sinister. It's what we see in the garden. Did God really say that? Do you really have to live your life that way? Do you really have to follow this that closely? It's no big deal if you fail. These false teachings that come from the father of lies, they're all over the world, and they are constantly trying to make their way to infiltrate the church of God. I would argue that it does this no more powerfully than when God's people abandoned the truth when it comes to discipleship and care and righteous living in the church. Do you agree with me that Satan wants nothing more than to keep you out of your Bible? He wants you to hear from anyone and everyone else except for God's word. He wants you to have a very thin, a very small view of your Bible. Sure, it has some facts. It might tell a few good stories. It might have a few pieces of moral living. But by and large, that thing is useless for today. That is what Satan is trying to get us to believe. And I honestly believe by and large, in many churches across the United States and across the world, he has won that battle. We see so many churches that have given up on believing in the the supernatural power of God's Word. You'll have to decide how seriously you take God's Word on this very point, but he says it this way in 2 Peter 1.3, That his divine power is granted to us, his people. What has he given to us? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You're going to have to determine for yourself, does God really mean what he says in his word, that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness here in the word of God? Maybe he does mean it, but he actually can't do it. That's the premise of a book that you probably have heard of before, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It's a book that swept the world a while ago written by Jewish rabbi Herod Kushner upon the the death of his son. He concluded, for example, that evil exists in the world because God is limited in his power. Meaning, he means promises like this, but he is unable to fully fulfill them. God's word doesn't have all that we need for life and godliness. Those are lies that Satan is trying to get you and me and churches all over the world to believe. I made very clear when I was a candidate here at Berean that I was a biblical counselor. 
meaning that biblical counseling is about the care of souls. It's about one-on-one discipleship that for today's problems that we all experience, but that it's fully reliant. It's fully devoted, fully dependent upon the Word of God. It's a practice that lives out what we say when it comes to the sufficiency of the Word of God. And so, if you come to my office for counseling and for care, the only tool that I'm going to use is the Bible or a book from an author that flows directly out of the principles that are taught here. Because there are systems of care where people in the world go to learn and study how do we do discipleship, how do we do care, that have nothing to do with the Bible. What they try to do is learn the worldly system and then find a verse that will correspond with what they have found. They come up short time and time again because there is a big difference for a system of care that comes directly from the Word of God and a system of care that at certain points lines up. Just like there's a big difference between a sermon that lines up with the Bible and a sermon that comes directly from the Bible. I hope that you would say we want sermons directly from the Word of God, not ones that are consistent. And so, one of the greatest lies that Satan has told us is that when it comes to the care of souls, especially in the church, this thing is not sufficient for your marriage problems. This thing is not sufficient to help you with the fights and quarrels that you will have. This thing is not sufficient for your sexual struggles, for your depression, for your anxiety, for your anger issues, for your parenting, on and on. The devil wants you to move the care of those things out of the church, out of the Word of God, and he wants you to be devoted to something else. He will say that what you need is therapy that is informed and governed by the secular world. Now, I don't think that means that if you've gone to secular therapy, you have family or friends that have done that, that that is somehow associated with devil worship. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that one of the tools that Satan is using to turn us away from the Word of God is to get us to pay attention to lies rather than the truth. And that begins with those who have seared their consciences. It's a powerful picture from the Word of God. Persons, because of their own wants, because of their own desires, have seared the conscience that God put inside of them. Every person was created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, And part of having that means that that God placed within you and within me a conscience. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 2 as he lands his argument on no one is righteous, no, not one. They depart, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. It's another way of talking about the conscience. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
God has placed within each of us a conscience. It's it's not enough to lead us to salvation, but a basic morality for how God has called the world to be organized. So in all societies at all times, stealing, murder, adultery, they started off as wrong. Things that we see in the Ten Commandments. Things that we see that society over time has shed. Because people have chosen not not just to silence the voice that is in their mind, but they want to sear it. They want to destroy it. And that is how the church moves from listening to lies to moving to a seared conscience. Elsewhere, the Bible would say a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Dear brothers and sisters, we need to be so careful. What are we listening to and who are we listening to it from? Are they people who have seared their consciences and therefore turning others to deceptive teaching? Ultimately then, people who listen to lies, who sear their conscience, ultimately this ends in practices of false worship. It's presented in our text this way in chapter 4, verse 3. Those who forbid marriage, they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. What is the goal of Satan? His goal is to undo all that God has done. What was meant for our good, for his glory, Satan is trying to bend and to twist from God's design. Paul is mentioning here some of the most common lies that were floating around at his time and his day. The cessation of certain types of foods, the the renunciation of marriage and the sexual union between a husband and wife. Because false religion is always going to bring False practices. The proof is always in the pudding. And that is the natural end of of listening to the lies. And ultimately what is required is the, the searing of the conscience. Today, the purveyors of false religion aren't calling for a cessation of marriage and the sexual union or food. Rather, they're they're twisting the, the design that God has for marriage. After church last week, I went home and read the news, which is sort of my regular practice, and was surprised to see that CNN would give this article front headline space on its news platform. 261 Georgia congregations leave the United Methodist Church over a divide of the LGBT issues. What is sad is 600 congregations chose to remain because of that church's stance on the LGBT issues. I realize that many of you work in places that put a tremendous pressure on you to affirm the LGBTQ agenda that is in our society, to use preferred pronouns and things like that. Let me say that your church is here for you, but but how are churches getting to the spot where they believe and they affirm this agenda? It's because they have believed the lies of Satan. They have seared their relationship with the Word of God. And now, just a remnant remains of those congregations 
who will stand for and hold the truth. And so your pastors and your deacons are here for you. We, we know that many of you are in workplaces that are challenging. Satan is going to continue to lead his assault on the, the first institution that God created, the institution of marriage. And so if there's any ways that we can help you, to equip you, to train you, to pray for you in these challenging times that we live in, we want to be here for you. But make, make no mistake, what we're seeing in these churches and from the world on the LGBTQ agenda and so many other things, it comes straight from Satan. And it started with the forsaking of God's word as the sole authority of truth for life and for godliness. It's being done by those who've seared their consciences and have led people in false worship and false practices. So what can we do about it as the people of God? Well, one, I would say to anybody here who is a parent of children who are in the home, I would encourage you, be very active in the lives of your children. You should know what are they watching. What is on the computer screen? What are they learning in the classroom at school? What are the struggles that they are facing and how can you care for them? So many times when I'm doing counseling, especially around individuals who are struggling with sexual sin, it is very clear to me that parents have been absent from the conversation. It's not always true, I'm not saying that, but many times parents have been absent in key and important ways. And so parents, if you're not talking with and pouring into your children the truth of God's word, don't be surprised that someone else is. It's not the job of the public school, the Christian school. It's not the job of the Sunday school teachers here, even at Berean, to raise and educate your children. That is your responsibility. Those people are here to help and to aid. But dear parents, be careful be watching, be pouring into your children. And, and teenagers, college students, beware of what you are listening to. Be careful of who you listen because our church needs you to be its future leaders if you've come to salvation in Christ. Satan would love nothing more than to derail those future leaders. For those of you who are adults, who've raised your children or didn't have children but are, but are past that stage of life, consider how you might be part of training and equipping that next generation. Berean has stood faithfully for the Word of God, but it will need people to continue to do that. And so let us be careful not to listen to lies, not to sear our consciences, and not to engage in false worship. Lastly, the text reminds us to celebrate God's good plan. For everything was created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. God has purposely created the things in this world. There, there is nothing random here. He set up the church to be the church. 
for marriages to be marriages, parents to be parents. Our job is not to reinvent, reinterpret, and tell God how to do His job. Rather, we're called to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to follow His Word, and to dwell in the truth. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we come before you and we offer you great thanks for your word, for the truth that is presented and represented there. And Father, we confess that many times and in many ways we depart from faithfully following and being devoted to the truth. I pray, Father, that today, as a result of being here, that we would be a people who are committed to your word, that we are dedicated to remaining and being devoted to it, that we would be biblical above everything else. And as we go forth from here, that we would proclaim the most essential message of truth, the gospel of your Son, Jesus the Christ. We ask all of this in his most precious and holy name. Amen.